I have now learned something, and now this behavior will not be repeated. Moving on. There's no ego involved, and that's pretty much how I approach anything, and everyone always has something to teach, so I like to learn. Welcome to the Thriving on Overload podcast. I am Ross Dawson, a futurist and entrepreneur fascinated by how we can excel at dealing with the universe of information, and the author of the book, Thriving on Overload. Every week, we share insights from information masters on how they transform today's avalanche of information into insight, foresight, and better decisions. For more goodness on this topic, be sure to visit thrivingonoverload.com, where there are a wealth of resources to help you thrive, including all podcast episodes with transcripts, excerpts from my book, and if you are really intent on amplifying your information productivity, the Thriving on Overload interactive course, which helps you develop a personal information plan you can immediately put into practice. And be sure to sign up for our weekly Tips for Thriving newsletter if you want to optimize your information productivity. If you enjoyed this episode, please do subscribe and give a rating or review on iTunes. It helps others interested in this topic to find these resources. Now, on with the show. On this episode, we learn from Brian Jacks. Brian is an information specialist and data analytics expert who has over 300 certifications in a wide variety of technologies and is always seeking more knowledge. He's also a popular YouTuber with millions of views for his detailed insights on productivity and personal knowledge management. You can find more on his work at brianjenks.dev, that's B-R-Y-A-N-J-E-N-K-S.dev, or on YouTube at Brian Jenks Tech. In this episode, he shares insights on beginner mindset, optimizing everything, why he prefers Obsidian over all other personal knowledge management tools, and lessons from neurodivergence, amongst many other great insights. Keep listening to learn from Brian. Brian, it's wonderful to have you on the show. Wonderful to be here. So, Brian, I'd love to just sort of hear the story of, you know, you're now a sharing all sorts of your insights into the structure of how you think and how you take notes and how you build your knowledge. And I want to hear just a bit of the, the backstory of how you, you know, came to be on this path of sharing these resources with uh, the world. Yeah, I was already on uh, YouTube for about a year before I even started talking about or doing anything with Obsidian. I was mostly just playing around with Linux on you know, an old laptop and talking about what I was learning there. But uh, my channel and my interest kind of really took off when I started uh, diving into the whole sphere of uh, personal knowledge management, PKM as it's commonly called. And uh, specifically using Obsidian. Uh, when I first was getting into Obsidian, it was primarily the the big players were Rome Research, um, Notion to a degree, but for the the connectivity, bidirectional linking, Note applications, it was really just Rome and now Obsidian who were really kind of capitalizing on that, and then people who were just also doing stuff in Notion or Evernote. But I was already using some tools sort of like this. Uh, when I was on my Linux computer, it was always uh, plain text in the terminal, super like bare bones. And I was using VimWiki because I still love uh, Vim or the VI improved uh, command line text editor. And 
I went from using VimWiki to trying out Joplin, and that was, you know, had a command line option, had a GUI, you know, pretty application option. So it was a kind of a best of both worlds. And then I saw this Subsidian thing, and it looked really, really nice, and I could customize it because I do have coding experience. And so I really started getting interested in that, diving into it, and it's just been, well, I think it's been more than two years now. Here we are. <laughs> so, well, actually, take, take it a step back. So, presumably, let's say when you're a teenager, as to how you came to want this structured thinking and find the value of the, the structure of taking notes or pulling your ideas together. I mean, what's the, what's the, the origin story of uh, you, as a, you know, as the deep structured thinker? Uh, that pretty much was the origin story when I was a teenager and even up through uh, my two-year college degree, I didn't really take notes or study for anything. I just kind of listened to the lectures and took the tests and did very well because the stuff didn't really go at my pace and I was just trying to move faster. So I didn't really have any interest in any of that at the time. I didn't even really start touching computers with a more like technological perspective until I was probably already 24 or 25 working for my local government. So it was now when you're moving from, you know, just having to pass tests to getting to things that you were really interested in. Yeah. That you were wanting to uh, build, build these structures. Yeah, it was, uh, I started getting interested in actually reading real research papers on various things and looking at how academics were approaching different, uh, how do we, how do you connect research papers into coherent information and knowledge and see like the landscape of what these papers might cover, how they're interrelated, who's citing who, that kind of whole network diagram of scientific research in academia. And this was also before I was ever even exposed to tools like um, connected papers or research rabbit or anything even vaguely network diagram of like citation trees and sources. And so I was just looking into how can I take like consolidated notes on a topic, but also relate that to the papers that I have. And, you know, it kind of started as a basic thing from just research papers, but that expanded into like all the sources of inputs that I then had. And then how can I figure out ways of effectively taking notes on various types of media podcasts, videos, books, things that are a little bit more long form or different kinds of input. Yeah. So you were originally, you know, at that point thinking of it as a network? Yes and no. I wasn't, ex it wasn't an explicit thought, but just uh, neurodivergence in general. And I will lock myself into this group uh, are predominantly system thinkers. So I think in patterns in, in systems, like if you give, if you say, hey, what do you think of this small little problem here? I usually can't do much with that until I start seeing how this plugs into the wider system that is potentially affecting this thing. And that can also be a detractor as well as a benefit. Um, but bottom up thinking, I need all these different details and see how they're connected before I can go up a higher level and actually give an effective answer or analysis of something. So was I already thinking and approaching it as a system? Yes. But it wasn't as explicit and self-aware as, ah, yes, this is my system. No, I wasn't like that, um, that aware of what I was kind of approaching or building up to at the time. 
So, what would so in terms of choosing your areas of expertise? So, what would you say you are an expert in, or choosing to be an expert in, or focusing your attention on? I would say I am an expert at approaching everything with the mindset of a beginner. <laughs> That's great. But if I had to like say, eh, I think I know a little bit about something, um, I would probably just say technology and programming in general. There's certainly plenty of people who are far, far beyond me, but I have enough generalist knowledge and experience with different languages, paradigms, technology, history, um, things to make me effective at seeing something and then having ideas about like several ideas about what could be the potential problem that we're troubleshooting here. What could potentially lead to a problem? Um, what are different ways to approach this solution? Um, technology and then just building systems like it doesn't have to be specifically technology but like if i'm in my you know garage and i'm trying to think of the most effective way to uh cut up all of these cardboard boxes and put that into my trash can i might actually develop a small system in the moment of okay sort them by size take the biggest box and use that as a cutting table and take the smallest boxes and then cut those up first because we want to fill in the small pieces or you know, I'll develop systems like that in that sort of vein of thinking for pretty much anything that I do. It's everything I do is systematized and it's pretty much instinctual. And so, so it's moving to the meta level. It's like, how do you do what you're doing better? Yeah. Is the, Optimize is the, the hell out of everything. <laughs> so I loved what you were saying about, you know, your expertise and good about things with the beginner's mind. So is that something which just comes completely natural to you? Or is that something you've worked on and, and helped develop? And if so, how how have you helped engender that beginner's mind frame? Um, I would say it was a little bit developed, but also just something that does sort of, did sort of happen naturally. Um, obviously in adolescence and during puberty, everyone's a little self-absorbed because that's just the nature, that's just human nature, especially with you know, the hormone profiles we have at that stage of life. But I would say after growing out of that a bit, and then just how I kind of just really open and willing to accept information and knowledge from anywhere, um, it just developed like that. I don't like to assume I know more than somebody and just like, you can't teach me anything. I never really ever think that. Um, I might know something and then I try to offer things because I like to help and to give information. I'd love to share and just give everything that I have and just add it to this pot of information. You throw in something else. I'm like, Ooh, yay, new stuff. I didn't know that. Add that to the, my collection, but it's about sharing. And one of the, my favorite things that I like to talk about the specific example of this is I was learning and doing um, Brazilian jiu-jitsu for a little while and out of interest, I just attended a judo class at the same place, like on a different day I never go. And this is my first time at a judo class, let alone this class. So like, I don't know anything. I, I know less than anything. So I go there and they're warming up and it's, it's basically monkey see, monkey do. So whatever they're doing, I'm trying to do it. And so we finish warming up. I'm super, you know, exhausted, not like exhausted, exhausted, but like we're, I'm breathing hard. I'm warmed up. Okay. And I'm leaning against this wall, just like catching my breath. This, I'm just assuming is a like 11 year old boy or something. And um, he like walks up and uh, he's not in the best of shape. He's a little bit, you know, 
soft or whatever, if I have to like give a description to add weight to what I'm saying, not because this was a judgment. And he walks up to me and he's like, hey, we don't even get to the wall when in class. And I'm, I'm a full grown adult at this, at this time. Like I'm over 18, I'm an adult. And this kid is coming up to me and telling me this. And the first thought and action in my head is not, excuse me, or who are you? What it, the first thought in my head is, oh, then I guess I shouldn't be against this wall. Like he taught me something in this class. We do not do this action. That is the, the rules here. And it was nothing like there was no ego involved. I didn't think that I knew more or he needed to respect me or it was the first thought was, oh, information. We do not lean against walls in this class. I have now learned something and now this behavior will not be repeated. Moving on. There's no ego involved. And that's pretty much how I approach anything. Anybody can teach me something and everyone always has something to teach. So I like to learn. Yeah, no, that's, that's fantastic. And I think this, this goes to the idea of status where there's so many, you know, our society is ridden with status and, you know, different cultures and nations around the world are sort of more status structured than others. If you travel, you'll experience that. But the, this idea that you, you know, you have to learn from your, your superiors and you teach to those who are below you. And if you just do away with that entirely saying, well, it doesn't, you know, status is not a thing. It's just, well, I'm here to learn. And it doesn't matter uh, whether you're young or old or, you know, inexperienced or experienced. And that's, that, that's a beginner's mind. You can learn from those people who are the beginners often more than the people that have been doing it forever and have got stuck in their, stuck in their ways. Because beginners don't have established patterns. They see new things in different ways. And so you can always be learning. Yeah, yeah. That's a, that's a fabulous thing about that. So you uh, have shared, you know, beautifully shared some of your experiences with uh, ADHD and how you've dealt with that and the medication. And so I think that there's many people who suspect that they have ADHD or ADD and they are, you know, they may not be diagnosable and, you know, it's maybe it's just that they feel that way, that they get distracted and they are actually normal because everyone gets distracted all the time. But I'd love to just hear what you have learned from your experience do you think others could benefit from in terms of how to deal with you know some you know sometimes acute you know i suppose you know without going through all the symptoms of adhd you know there's some things which we, we all experience in terms of distraction and activity and distractibility so what what are some of the things which you have learned which others could find useful yeah i definitely talk about that kind of stuff a lot on um on my channel and i was i was just on another uh interview call thing and gave this exact same advice which is that even if you do not have uh adhd or a neurodivergence that doesn't mean any of the tools and processes and systems that help me or people like me function better are not applicable Oftentimes it's just, it's a great system or solution to apply to your life and it could help whether you have a condition or not. Um, things like time blocking or, uh, actual, actually making, yeah, people say make a list, but like, I like to, instead of just saying the bare bones example of make a list and then you, you have a post-it note over here, an application over there, or, you know, a bullet journal somewhere in another room, like I prefer to just give like general umbrella approach to how I do things is 
centralize as much as possible. So not three to-do lists. You have one place where all lists are. You could have separate lists, but they're all in one place. It's not a post-it note and a bullet journal over there in an application. It might be separate lists within your application. Centralize. And then I try to externalize as much of my cognition and memory as possible. So I don't think about like my projects. I don't hold all this stuff in my head. I never have to remember anything. As soon as I need to remember it, I put it into the task management software or I put it on the calendar. If it's not there, it does not exist to me. I don't worry about it. If it's not in there, I don't care. It doesn't exist. If, it, if I needed to remember this, then in the moment when I'm told about something, hey, we're having lunch next Thursday, next, then immediately I am making a calendar block for the time for lunch next Thursday. If I need to remember to do something tonight, my phone's up, I insert the task, done. That's where stuff like Todoists, NLP, natural language processing, tonight, 10 a.m., whatever, 7 p.m., do the thing. Like That's where it's super fast to do that. But that's why I use those tools, because it, it makes it very quick and easy to facilitate that behavior. Centralize and get it out of your head. Just get everything out of your head. Those two things alone make it incredibly easier to manage your life, especially if you have a lot of things going on like I do. And then like my calendar system with Morgan doesn't even need to be that particular application, but calendars, having multiple calendars so that you could have color coding because at least me, but many people who have neurodivergence like mine also tend to be very visual thinkers and visual type of people. I need to see it and that helps me comprehend and understand it better. So color coding, using emojis for different things. Uh, I have several calendars, somewhere upwards of 10 or more calendars because I separate out the colors. The colors mean something to me. If it's an orange time block on my calendar, it's a task. If it's yellow, it's a work-related thing. And I can see that at a glance and see what my day looks like. But then I can also drill into details. And then the last thing I could say is, uh, well, sometimes you're going to forget stuff like I do. And that's okay. Forgive yourself. <laughs> you are listening to the Thriving on Overload podcast. If you truly want to increase your information productivity, then check out the Thriving on Overload interactive course. It is designed to significantly enhance your information practices and habits, guiding you through creating your own personal information plan so you can excel in a world of overload. Go to thrivingonoverload.com slash course to find out more. Now back to the show. That's fantastic. I was just uh, supposed to be, got a message the, the other morning saying, oh, you're supposed to be at this meeting. And essentially what had happened was, we, you know, we were tic-tacking, working out of time. He says, oh, I put it in my calendar. And I said, oh, can you put it in, add me to the calendar invite? He gives me a thumbs up. And after that, I forget it completely. He's like, all right, well, it's going to be in my calendar. <laughs> he didn't put it in his calendar until 2 a.m. that morning. And I already knew it was in my calendar, so I didn't look at it. And it's like, well, no, it was my calendar. It doesn't exist. <laughs> so I think I think that's, that's a fabulous principle that externalize as much as possible because human brains are wonderful at some things, but the less burden you put on them, then the better they can do what they do. Oh, that was the last point. Thank you, Brain was the, and I think I got my, that task management philosophy um, was like influenced, if not heavily shaped by, uh, I can't remember the name of it, but it was 
some podcast or book or podcast of a guy who wrote a book about task management that was really popular. Um, but that also leads into the final thing too, that I think is one of the most beneficial things for me, which is don't put it down, put it away. And I'm bad. I'm admittedly horrible at this when it comes to digital things, files, notes, whatever. Um, so I developed a system about that. But when it comes to physical objects, if I have to put it down, it goes only where it goes when it's being put away. So my keys, my wallet, my phone are only in a separate, uh, specific locations. And I jokingly say this in several of my videos that I know that my car keys are only in three places ever. They're in the valet tray bowl thing on my entryway table. They're in my pocket or they're in someone's fridge. Because if I need to remember to bring something back with me from someone's house, like, you know, some leftover food or something, and I put it in the fridge, then I don't want to forget it. So I can't leave without my keys and my keys are on top of the Tupperware. So those are the only three places my keys will ever be. The valet tray, my pocket, or someone's fridge. Yeah, no, I think that uh, there's many, 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 many people that can benefit a lot from following that advice. Uh, keep it on uh, losing things. So the digging into, oh yeah, sorry, just back on the time blocking. I mean, so that's something which I write about in Thrive and Overload is like, you know, one of these master productivity principles. And part of the thing is around task switching. If you keep on switching tasks, you're just using brain cycles needlessly. So the being able to block out time for particular activities, doing one thing for a period of time, and switching is is you know incredibly effective way of using our capabilities. So, but what are any principles that you use for uh, the way in which you do time blocking? In addition to what you mentioned around color coding and, and sorting sorting them into categories. Yeah, context switching is horrid. Um, it is the bane of my existence and the bane of my productivity. Uh, when it comes to work, which is probably a really great example for me, my day job, when I am forced to context switch, I don't get anything done. It so I have thankfully I have some very wonderful and understanding uh, leaders and former manager at the time too that. For one, if I don't, if I get invited to a meeting and no one can tell me what the goals are of the meeting, what the is there an agenda? Why do I need to be here? I just don't go. So they learn really quickly. Like if you want me there, then I need to know why I'm there. I'm going to provide the value you need from me, and then I'm done. So that's just phase one. After I'm in a meeting, usually what I try to do is make sure that the meetings are scheduled in a block. I'd rather have four hours of uninterrupted meetings with no breaks between than to have meetings peppered throughout my whole day. So first of all, I just try to reduce how many I'm in, which thankfully I'm in very few. Uh, after that, I try to keep them all to a block of time. And then I have the rest of the day to have large swaths of uninterrupted time to do whatever I'm trying to do that day. Um, and for more of my personal stuff, when it comes to context switching and time blocking, uh, something I actually didn't really think too hard about, but actually noticed this morning when I was giving my other, other interview was that I will sometimes, because ADHD individuals, me, 
other neurodivergencies are very poor with actually understanding time and the concept and the concept of time. So like I'll put a time block on my calendar for edit YouTube video for five hours. It's probably not going to take me that long. It might take me two and a half or three hours, but I don't know. And so I estimate, and that's probably a really poor estimation, but I'd rather over than undershoot it. And so what I tend to do is I will overbook those tasks, which could be a double-edged sword for some people. You could get stressed out by so many things being there or not. It depends. Your mileage may vary. And so I will sometimes overbook. So I'll put a couple other tasks, sometimes small ones, but directly over the same block of time as the YouTube one. You know, it might be a smaller block, but they're all overlapping. I could have three things going on at once. Why? Because I'll finish the YouTube video editing, maybe two, three hours. Then I will grab that block, drag it up to its actual end time, and now it's completed. But now below that, I will then adjust and reorder the blocks that were overlapping it and fit those in because it's what I wanted to do that day. I wanted to get all these things done but I might not have had a perfect idea of where it would have fit in. And it allows me a little bit of maneuverability and flexibility with what I have going on, but I know that I want to do these in the morning. So when I book book that five hours in the morning for YouTube, I know I'm probably going to have some time left over, so I'm putting those things there as well, but it gives me a little bit of flexibility with getting some of these things done in a sort of ad hoc manner, even though it's kind of like planned ad hoc. A tip. I think it's a it's a master technique. I think most people have got to get the foundations of uh, time blocking right before they start to use techniques like that. But um, no, I think that that's uh, definitely something because when you've got your entire calendar full, full, then you do need to be able to find some ways to move around. For example, you know the variability of how tasks actually uh, how long tasks actually take. So you. You know, I'll, I'll have in the show notes and sort of in the introduction, I'll be sharing your, uh, you know, links to your YouTube in particular and, you know, all of your other uh, resources. And so, you know, that's where we can really dig in and people want to learn the details of what you do and how you do and uh, all the wonderful things you can share. But just like to pull back to the big picture of Obsidian. And so you spent some time looking at different tools to be able to choose Obsidian. And just like to to get that high level view of that process of how it is you selected Obsidian as your home, and how that fits into your everyday work and the way in which you capture and structure your thoughts. Yeah, the choice of Obsidian was very bullet pointed and fairly straightforward. I've tried several other applications and certain things jive, certain things don't. Notion, while very pretty, is just too much. I could get too lost in trying to set it up and get the database stuff connected and everything's so shiny, I would say, um, that it just wasn't working for me. I'd get too distracted by what's going on in it than actually doing what I'm trying to do. And then there's also the issues of you know, the more you put into certain applications like that, then the more, uh, the slower they become. And so then it becomes more unwieldy. Uh, that's not even getting touching the biggest issue, which I'll cover last. But then there was the issue of Rome, which was the, the golden child at the time and a big fanfare, big cult-like following for that one. 
And I mostly just didn't like Rome specifically because of the data storage format, the slow speed when it came to the browser cache for those people who are nerdy and know what I'm talking about. Uh, just didn't like that. That and very uh, high cost, even if you were not a uh, formal academic, it was just very exorbitantly expensive. So ultimately this kind of pushed and nudged me in the direction of the tools that I did end up using and trying out, VimWiki, Joplin, uh, a couple other things, which really got me thinking about what, what do I really need from an application and what do I really want from it? And Obsidian was just sitting in the sweet spot of all of these things. It was, it's not open source, which is probably the only like detractor I have about it, the only con. But uh, when it comes to this particular tool, I don't care enough about that to stay away from it. But it is local first. It has, everything is using plain text files that live in your system. It's not JSON data living in Rome's databases or cached in your browser. There's no chance for it to you know, go and get corrupted or whatever. These are plain text files that are sitting in a folder on your, your computer. There are syncing services available. You could apply other technologies without having to pay a dime. I was one of the first few people who actually set up a Git version control workflow specifically for Obsidian users to sync our files, our plain text files, to GitHub because GitHub, code, version control, plain text files, that's what code is. That Bam, there you go. And now there's even options built in that you could pay a little bit of money for, but there's also the published site. But even removing all of these like bell and whistle add-on features, it's a highly customizable system. You can get all kinds of customizations done to the theming. You can theme it exactly how you want. You can customize existing themes, plain text files. The plugin ecosystem is insane. I think there are probably over 500 distinct plugins now. And even then, like, I don't even need more than, I think I have like 30 I actively use right now, but even then you could probably pare it down. There's a plugin for everything. And if there isn't, just mention it and somebody's going to jump on it because everyone wants to contribute to the ecosystem because the community is amazing, super welcoming, super helpful, super knowledgeable. And, you know, I like to say that I like to think that everyone has kind of like an approach like mine, you know, everyone wants to help. Everyone wants to share the information and we all just want to be excited about how everyone's approaching, you know, what they're doing. And then, yeah, the bi-directional note linking, embedding notes and content, that's just the icing on the cake, but that's also pretty much the biggest thing is it is a way of graphically connecting your knowledge while still giving you the freedom that people from the old Unix computer days would appreciate. Plain text files that are accessible for all time in a format that's not going to just go out of style. For probably a different set of reasons, I used Obsidian and I'm, I'm very early on compared with you in terms of developing the whole systems and structures. But two of the things was the the customizability, the whole community, and as you say, we've been able to get all sorts of different, uh, you know, there's extensible in terms of its capabilities, and also the underlying network structure is more able to be, you know, brought out than in some of the other, other tools. And I just, if you can get a network representation, then that's, that's for me, a, a wonderful demonstration of, uh, 
of what's going on in your mind because you know that's where we are we our semantic networks underlie our thinking if we can represent that in our uh, the way we capture information that's i think really really valuable so to round out what, what are any you know summary advice so this idea of thriving and overload we live in a world of uh, far too much information you know what are any summary thoughts or things you'd like to share on advice for for people who want to be able to be grounded and make sense of that all i would say i would say i could give probably two pieces of uh, very good uh bang for your buck kind of knowledge and that would be try to adapt to a paradigm of no folders i mean even i still use folders folders do serve a purpose but try to conceptualize and understand the paradigm of an organic network of notes and information so that you don't ever have to ask the question of where should I file this? You don't have to do the action and therefore the overhead of filing something. It doesn't have to live in two places at once. It doesn't have to be duplicated. It's linked to other things it's connected to. And if you ever need to find something, that's what search is for. And there are a myriad of tools and approaches to effectively name things, find things, and search for things. So you're not going to lose it. So try to adapt to that paradigm, and it will free you up for basically a chaotic organization system. If you want to have an idea of what that might look like, uh, check out YouTube for Amazon's warehousing strategy. Chaotic organization at its finest. That, but for your notes. And then the last thing would be um, leveraging tags and your links effectively. I have a whole video about it. A lot of it still pretty much stands up to this day. It's a little bit dated, but it basically stands up. And everyone likes to just throw tons of tags out there for everything. Like I'm going to tag this with exercise and biceps and then pull up because it's all three of these things. That's a lot of, that's three tags for one note. Well, now you have just a myriad of tags. So instead of just having tags be for all these little granular pieces of information, I prefer to use tags as they are in Obsidian, you know, hashtag item as a context list grouping. So stages of processing or a general swath of information, some a grouping of things that might not be related to each other, even remotely. That way I can have insight into everything inside this context list group. But if I need to know something and what relates to it in a grouping, that's why I link things together. It tells me I am linked to these things because we're related for a particular and intentional purpose. Whereas tags are just a giant umbrella of everything underneath me is this tag. And so understanding that key difference will really help you leverage a lot of that chaotic organized system. At least that's what I've been finding in my own system for the past two years. Fantastic. Thanks so much, for Brian, for your insights, not just on the uh, on our conversation today, but also on, uh, on YouTube and all of your other places, because there's a lot of fabulous resources and a lot of depth and a lot of value. So thank you. Wonderful to talk to you. I'm just glad people find them useful and enjoy them. Thank you for listening to the show. If you want more resources to help you thrive in a world of exponential information, go to thrivingonoverload.com where you can find all podcast episodes, transcripts, show notes, 
excerpts from my book, Thriving on Overload, the Thriving on Overload interactive course, and a trove of other useful content and resources, including a weekly Tips for Thriving newsletter to keep across it all. If you like this episode, please do help us be found by giving us a rating or review and subscribe if you'd like to hear more. This is Ross Dawson. Thank you for listening. Have a wonderful day.